I'm Orion Cooling. And I'm Zach Meyer. And this is Shadow Carriers. Shadow Carriers is a curated collection of disturbia assembled by two lifelong storytellers, sonically mixed to bring you into the darkness and out again. We invite you to sit with us in the shaft of moonlight and, if you're brave enough, to step into the shadow with us. St. Boniface Cemetery at Lawrence and Clark is a small, hidden gem to storytellers. She's not one of Chicago's colossal-sized cemeteries like Rose Hill or Graceland, but she's full of mysteries to uncover. And, oddly enough, during these pandemic times, St. Boniface has become an oddly sought-after walking route for you. You're able to stretch your legs with a little more elbow room than on the sidewalks of the streets. There were more people here earlier in the year, but January's frost has thinned out the group. The last couple of times, it seems like it's just you inside these walls. Well, you and some 90,000 tenants who lie six feet beneath your footsteps. As you walk beside thousands of gravestones, you reflect on this carved-out piece of manicured nature. She's sheltered from modernity. Flanked by the busy neighborhoods of Andersonville and Uptown, this venerated land holds fast from development and changing times to protect the peace inside for its occupants. Consecrated in 1863, she is a portal to the past of the city's early beginnings, when the busy streets of today were only ideas sketched out on paper, before the lakeshore was sculpted into existence from the debris of the Great Fire, when humankind committed to taming the wild swamp and prairie to force it into a city. We went from prairie land to the third most populous city in the nation over the last 200 years. It's hard to imagine this place being anything else than a small oasis away from the bustle of buses, cars, and storefronts. But right now, you finally found some space to yourself, and the only sound wafting through the air is your footsteps crunching through the snow. Funny thing about snow... People associate falling snow with peace and quiet, but if they only knew the real reason behind the quiet and solitude snow creates. You see, snow deadens sound. It's porous, as snowflakes lay in the designs of their multi-sided crystals, their little pockets of space absorb the surrounding din. Like an unseen force pickpocketing from the air, it creates a blissful eeriness, In essence, it's not silence. Not exactly. It's more like a void. The sounds of the streets, the cars, the people outside the gates of St. Boniface, stolen from the air before they hit your ears. And here you are now, strolling through St. Boniface with fluttering snow and the restful dead. You're in your own little snow globe of hollowed ground. You stray off the footpaths into the larger swath of nature. Dates scratched into the stones repeat in the mid-1800s like the flickering animation of an antique zoetrope as you pass each one. Chicago was a newborn then, trying to carve out its presence and dominance over this area. A sharp movement ahead snaps you to attention. Adrenaline supercharges your senses, yet you are paralyzed in place as a figure appears before you. Steam exits its nostrils as it stares at you. 
Ancestral biology should have warned both of you before you came within this close distance, but yet, you're here. Its dark eyes scan you, analyzing threat. You do the same. You both wait to see what the other will do. You've only ever seen them from afar, but at this range, you can see the exact sharpness of each point of its antlers with terrifying clarity. If it decided you were a threat, if it decided to charge you, hmm. You try to control your breathing. Your frosted breath mimics it in cadence. It's a standoff, and the odds are not in your favor. You're at its mercy. You slowly move your head. It mirrors. You shift your foot to begin an exit, but the crunch of snow brings too much noise. It snaps its eyes to it, flashing its rack of spikes. Somehow, in the middle of this city, nature has you at its mercy. You risk it. One slow step strafing perpendicularly, its eyes stay with you. The rest of its massive body unmoving. Another. Another. You've made your intention clear to disengage, but it has not disengaged from you. You will be a threat to it until it deems otherwise. It lets out a huffing exhale, clearly impatient. You finally put enough space between you two so that the deer lowers its head and goes back to searching for grass underneath the snow. You find the walking path, and as if taking off headphones, you become aware of the sounds of the city again, the cars, the nearby L rattling by. How bizarre to be snapped back into focus this way. You shake your head, clearing your thoughts. You move towards the gates. When you turn back to look at it, the buck is now nowhere to be seen, leaving only deceptively small tracks that don't do justice to the height and strength of that animal that was towering before you. Today was lucky. You wouldn't have had a chance if it decided to charge, to fight. The hazards of nature ran the edge of its blade delicately across your skin today, but decided not to draw blood. Next time, look where you're going. The journey of evolution that crafted our five senses to what they are today is truly remarkable. Through hundreds of thousands of years of design, we're benefiting from the latest upgrades for our species. Each one has been precisely honed to aid in our survival, to get us to the next generation. Every shadow moving in the bushes was seen before the attack. Every bitter berry spit out before the poison took root. And every piece of rot smelled before it was digested. Every sense has fine-tuned our species to what we often take for granted today. The sense of hearing, however, lives in a world of mystery. It requires further investigation for confirmation, unlike its siblings. You can guess at what a sound is, but that's not good enough. We are driven to seek it out, even when we think it's something harmful. But where true fear lies is when we must face the sound of danger that's still lurking, still hidden. Danger that hasn't pounced yet. Danger that's stalking you. A twig snap. Your bedroom door unlatching. An exhale on the back of your ear. 
Our mind slips into a frenzy of the worst possible outcomes. Our bodies want to enlist every muscle to evacuate us from danger, but our minds paralyze every thread of sinew as our ears strain for more. Our minds scream with questions, our eyes frantically searching for anything within our field of vision. Our hearts pump blood and oxygen ready for the word, go! But our ears hold them all back as we pray for one more clue on the wind that can inform our next move. When life or death hinges on the next sound to vibrate off our eardrums, the worst thing that could happen is silence. Chicago is famous for our winters. If you've ever visited in January or February, you know what I mean. A famous talk show host who cut their chops here once exclaimed that you'll never find another group of people more excited for summer than Chicagoans. We'll get snow, yes, but what really gets you is the biting wind and the frigid cold. The humidity effects from Lake Michigan and the flatlands that allow Arctic winds to blow unabated down from the northwest create a meteorological force that demands respect. During the dark months, it can feel like the cold has seeped all the way into your bones. You feel it in every cramped muscle that instinctively raises your shoulders to your ears. Every patch of red chapped skin on ungloved hands. Every frozen eyelash that weighs your eyelids down. Chicagoans know no higher forms of relief during the longest nights than an extra blanket and an extra log on the fire. 1838 was a particularly brutal winter for the good people of frontier Chicago. The harsh falling temperatures had brought a grinding halt to the expansion of the city, and much of Chicago still looked like scenes from Little House on the Prairie. Food had become a very limited resource, too. Deer and wild game soon felt the oppressive breath of old man winter on their backs. If they didn't perish from the elements, despite their downy protection, they were picked off by scavengers that were higher up the food chain. Rumors started to spread of a possible pack of wolves near Wolf's Point, where the rivers met to create the Chicago River. But it was only rumors, and these settlers didn't have time for anything that wasn't right in front of their noses. They needed shelters up and food collected as soon as possible. The Arctic wind shortened work and hunting hours, so there was no time to hunt for wolves. The situation grew more perilous by the day. The people of newborn Chicago were approaching a dangerous point. For when the elements press upon us, we humans dance dangerously close to our primal selves. The desperation for survival changes the person we see in the mirror. Not immediately, but slowly as the need for survival grows. And as the temperature was freezing the river, these dire circumstances were freezing these settlers into indecision. And like the last twigs of hope snapping, the rumors of wolves became all but confirmed as their howls began to waft over the city on a nightly cadence. What else could go wrong? Well, my friends, to make matters even worse, an altogether unexpected development, people began to disappear. It started with the hunters who never came back, fur trappers not reporting in over at Fort Dearborn and other nearby outposts. The city tried to ignore this and keep moving. They didn't want to accept that a new danger was prowling outside of their city. Those that remained said, Surely these hunters knew the risk of their profession. It's nothing for me to fear. 
But the wolves would howl their nightly song at Wolf's Point, where the North and South rivers meet. Then the building crews, who worked on the edges of the city, trying to claim more land for human expansion, began to vanish as well. Again, the city tried to ignore this. Again, those that remained said, Surely these crews knew the risk of their profession. It's nothing for me to fear. But the wolves would howl their nightly song at Wolf's Point, where the North and South Rivers meet. Eventually, the residents of Chicago could no longer ignore the danger stalking in the area, as those who made the mistake of being out after dark began to add to the list of the missing, right in the middle of the city proper. Those that remained said, Surely these people knew the risk of staying out past dark. It's nothing, nothing for me to fear. But the wolves would howl their nightly song at Wolf's Point, where the North and South Rivers meet. But try as they might, the people of this fair city struggling for a foothold could no longer deny that a pack of wolves had moved into their bleak winter town. Never a cry for help was heard to alert an attempted rescue. Just a growing list of missing names. Missing husbands, fathers, brothers who braved the foundling city's borders never to return. It was like they were vanishing into the dark night without a sound. Two dozen armed men set out towards Wolf's Point to hunt these fearsome creatures down. The tracks that they could find were massive. One hunter said he reckoned the wolves were over 170 pounds, much heavier than the largest gray wolf they had ever encountered. But very few tracks remained as they were swept up into the swirling snow. Finally getting to Wolf's Point, they found nothing. Not even a single tuft of fur left for them to examine. The group gathered into a clearing to confer on what to do next when they noticed they were one person shy. Frantically recounting who it might be, the missing gentleman emerged from the tree line, his rifle hanging low in his hand, his eyes blank and staring straight ahead. He reached his other hand towards the group and drew a large inhale. As he exited from the shadows, the sunlight revealed a crimson river draining from his neck. Instead of his voice, blood and air gurgled out of his torn throat. His knees buckled underneath him, and he landed motionless on the fresh snow as a pool of red tainted the white blanket that supported him. Instead of bringing back pelts and closure, the hunting group brought back rumors, fear, and fewer numbers. These didn't seem like wolves they were used to. They were bigger, stealthier, and more savage. More dangerous and harder to track, living in the silence just beyond hearing where the living do not return. Those in town with a French heritage rekindled their parents' horror stories of the Beast of Javoudon, when only 60 years before, the French countryside was ravaged by vicious wolf attacks that killed over 500 people in a three-year time period. The victims would be found with their throats ripped out and half-eaten. These wolves were said to have long skulls, immense tails, and formidable teeth. Eyewitnesses, then, couldn't be satisfied with the description of a wolf. They were different, larger, Something more than a dog, something more than a wolf, and yet somehow both, an otherworldly creature set upon the earth. Our early Chicagoans found themselves at an impasse. They didn't know what they were fighting. 
Was this something new to them, or was this something very, very old? You see, the descriptions they gave for the animals that prowled outside their town align with the descriptions of dire wolves, a type of canine wolf that roamed the Americas 9,000 years ago, burly enough to take down horses, bison, and mastodons, and cunning enough to ebb and flow with the last ice age. Had a thought-to-be-extinct breed of massive canine wolves tormented this town that year? Does it matter if you have the correct name of the monster when it's lurking outside your door? Does calling the devil in the shadows by any other name dull its fangs or satiate its appetites? Would it matter what you called out if your throat was torn from your body, the name never reaching the air? It continued to get worse. More people vanished and still nothing could be done to tamp down this threat. Like a metaphor for surviving the cold season, they locked themselves in at night and prayed for daybreak to come quickly, hoped each day for the warmth of spring to come upon them. That winter, the people of Chicago were penned in and picked off one by one by animals that spawned from myth. Torches were lit, guns kept loaded, and at night you'd hold your loved ones close and pray it would all be over soon. Every night like a battle, every morning a small reprieve. But they are opportunistic killers. Walls meant nothing. Besides, what was that outside? A scratch at a midnight hour while the house sleeps. Loud enough to stir intrigue, but quiet enough to attract only one. The most naive of us. Like seducing a calf away from the herd, your child wakes from a light sleep. Scratching. 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 It's enough to pull them above that warm blanket of unconsciousness. What a strange sound. It gnaws at them. Enough to block further slumber. Maybe something needs to be relatched or secured. Maybe something's getting pushed by a draft. Maybe a neighbor in need. It requires investigation. With a lantern lit, the young one draws closer to the area of the sound. These wolves of old, these dire wolves of legend, learned we humans would not be able to resist. They would wait for our curiosity. As your child gets closer and raises their lantern, their breath fogs up that brittle glass. But then, it fogs back on the other side, too. The humid breath, quickly icing over into frost. In it, they see not the reflected candlelight, but two glowing green eyes. Those eyes that somehow hypnotize, paralyze. This moment, this second in time, freezing in place like the frontier outside the door, locked in its gaze. The instant the child's lungs inhale to call for help, the window shatters. You wake up in just enough time to watch in horror as terrible jaws lock 1,500 pounds of crushing force into your child's neck and wrench them through the window into the dark void of the endless cold snow globe of the frontier. As legend goes for those who were pulled from windows, they never screamed. Or more to the point, their screams were never heard. Only the echoes of the shattered glass left to fill your ears as your own screams 
were swallowed up by the shock of what you just witnessed. Their last cries were stolen off the wind. Their screams pulled into the microscopic crevices created by the freshly fallen crystals of snow, a scenic symbol of idyllic peace, smothering the horrors left behind as the winter night remained frigid, full of danger, and silent. Eventually, the winter turned a corner. As our globe crossed that equinotic threshold and the days began to get longer, the cold finally began to break. Peace finally seemed tangible. Safety no longer a wish upon a star. The wolves relinquished their stranglehold on the town and moved on to the other hunting grounds as other prey woke from hibernation. But the horror was not done with the town yet. Legend goes that as the snow melted, the town filled with little pops of screams. Voices of those lost during the winter who had their last cries robbed from the air, finally released by the snow and given their last exits. Today, much like St. Boniface, the past of Wolf's Point is shadowed with buildings and signs of commerce. One of the main train stations is there pulling in the northern lines that stretch to Wisconsin. As the train lines make a hard turn to pull into the station, the steel of the cars screech and moan. But every once in a while, though, those screeches sound a little different. A little human. It makes you pause. You try to convince yourself that your mind is just playing tricks on you. But despite your best efforts, you can't ignore that prickle that runs down your spine when you hear that distinctive timbre of a human shriek of agony. Because for someone who knows the past of Wolf's Point where the North and South Rivers meet, it makes you wonder, is it just the sound of the morning commute for this metropolis? Or is it one last scream from the frontier winter of 1838? This episode was written, directed, performed, and sound designed by Zach Meyer and Orion Cooling. Production manager is Angela Cooling. Creative director, Sarah Perry. Story editor is Leah Lopez. Soundscaped by Zach Meyer. Guest vocals by the Meyer nephews. If you've enjoyed this episode and want to support our work, become a patron of the podcast and gain exclusive content. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash shadowcarriers. If you'd like to buy our storytellers a drink, you can donate at our Venmo at Shadow Carriers. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay connected and up to date on our upcoming episodes. And most importantly, if you've enjoyed your time with us today, please consider subscribing to Shadow Carriers and leaving a review on your podcast provider. As a small podcast, your reviews and subscriptions really help us grow our listener base and influence the mysterious and chaotic spirits known as algorithms. We've served you these stories for a peek to the other side, but as you leave us, we wish you fair Fair winds and following skies. Hey, Henry and Leo, what are your thoughts about dire wolves on the frozen frontier?